Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. Beautiful day, and the sun is shining. It's not raining. What? Do we, I'm not. It's confusing, but we're happy. We're happy about it. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we are continuing a series we've been doing this early spring and summer on Goliaths, and they must fall in our lives. We've been identifying these things. We've talked about fear and about rejection. Last week, Pastor Glenn did a great job talking about complacency. You know, sometimes we just get too comfortable. We uh, get a little careless, and we lose our edge, and we can, we can miss God's best ideal. Today, we want to talk about anger. Next week, we'll talk about addiction. Now, in two weeks, it's Father's Day, and God has given me a powerful message for Father's Day. So encourage the men in your life to come. It'll be really inspiring, I think, and challenging to them, and we will honor fathers on Father's Day. So we pick up the story now of David Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, one, one verse today, verse 28, and we want to pick up on Eliab, the older brother of David, and to consider his anger and what we might learn from this. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, uh, we will project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. We do this to honor God's word. And here's verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. Now that, that sounds strong, doesn't it? Burned with anger. And he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And so we see this anger on display and may God give us insight and wisdom into how to deal with it. You may be seated. Thanks so much. If you ask someone if, you're an angry, are you, if they're an angry person, most people will say, no, I'm not an angry person. Well, how do you know you're not an angry person? Well, I, you know, I don't go into fits of rage and s screaming obscenities at people and throwing furniture across the room, that sort of thing. But the fact is that all of us suffer from anger. All of us experience that emotion from time to time, and in some cases it's a very intense level of the emotion of anger and perhaps even justified to be so angry. So all of us have anger in our lives. We know that. And I might also add that all anger is not bad. In fact, the Bible says things like, in your anger, do not sin, implying that there's an anger that is relevant to the moment circumstance, which doesn't lead to sinfulness. Uh, it also says in James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a good standard, I think. Jesus himself felt anger. In fact, Jesus put some pretty strong anger, the the emotion of anger on display from time to time. He was very pointed in some of his com comments to his disciples from time to time, very provocative statements. We also know that he went into the temple one day, you'll remember this, that he took offense at these people profiting from the selling of items related to temple activities. And so he's overturning the money changers. I mean, so that, I mean, that day tables, tables were overturned, chairs were flying around. That's a pretty strong reflection of the emotion of anger. 
We also know in Luke 11 that Jesus was invited to a special banquet, the host of which was a Pharisee. And as soon as Jesus gets to this big spread, this official event, he begins to criticize the host. I mean, out loud in front of everybody. That's pretty bold. And so we, we see these occasions where righteous anger is a legitimate response that does not lead to sin, even practiced from time to time by Jesus himself. Uh, but that's not the kind of anger that we want to talk about today. The kind of anger that we want to refer to today is the anger that becomes a giant in our lives, that can become debilitating in our relationship with God and with others. And to understand what that anger is and to, to understand ways that we can cope with it, manage it, resolve it, heal it, is what we're up to today. So again, we find this... this uh, Occasion when we experience anger is usually in some of the context of some current or past relationship. You know, back to the subject of rejection, that's a big piece of anger. Most anger is the result of rejection in our lives. And so we have to come to terms with that. Or something that's repeatedly done to us, or something we believe we deserved but we didn't receive. It's a hurt, it's a wound, it's a stab. These are the kinds of things that cause us to be angry. And we also um, know that if we don't manage our anger well and it gets pushed down or, and it's left to fester, then when it gets ignited, it can be an explosive thing and destructive. You've probably been in a moment where there may have been a, like a firecracker offense committed in a setting where you were present and you get a a dynamite response to a firecracker offense. And you wonder, why is that person so angry? Well, what's going on? This can happen when you allow anger over time to fester and you don't process and manage it. Uh, not long ago, I, I, I ran into a burning house. Uh, this is a true story. I was on a state road in my car and I noticed in the distance uh, smoke that was billowing up and as I got closer to this house, I realized it's a house fire and that, you know, that thick black smoke that's symptomatic of a house fire just, you know, it kind of sickens you when you see it. And, and this house was fully involved on the one-story house on the garage end. There, there were flames coming through the roof of the garage and this black thick smoke billowing out. And also as I got close, closer to this house, I realized I'm the first guy to, to, to see this house on fire. There was no one else in sight. And so I, I pulled my car off the road, I ran up to the front door of this house and it, the door was locked and I started banging on the door, uh, calling out if there was someone in the house. About that time, a young man, probably 25 years old, came around the corner of the house and he was not the house owner he had been fishing in a pond across a field adjacent to the house and he saw the house on fire and so he came running. So the two of us were standing there on the front, front porch of this house that's burning and smokes everywhere and, we, and the door's locked. He looked at me and he said, what should we do? He, I said, we should, we should kick this door in because we've got to find out if anyone's in there. And he looked at me and he said, you think I should kick it in? I, and I said, kick it in. 
And he was 25, and he was a pretty big guy. And I could see his adrenaline. I mean, his endorphins were firing. I mean, this guy was, this guy was really pumped up. <laughs> and he turned his back to this door. Listen, if there had not been a door there, we would have gotten into the house. He would have kicked a hole in the side of the house. I mean, he, he almost blew the, the door completely off the hinges. He was really, he was really excited. Anyway, I got a kick out of that. And so we stepped inside of this house and the smoke was down to about half, halfway to the floor on one, si one side of the hallway and about a third of the way down on the other side. And I said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go that way and look for people. I said, do not open that service door to the garage because obviously that's where the fire is really going. So don't open that door and I'll go this way. And I said, we will meet back here in 30 seconds. If there's anyone in there, you drag them, you drag them back to the front door. And, I'll, and I said, don't be late because we, we got to get out of here. And he said, okay. And so we both took off in this house and we checked all the, all the corners of this house. No one was in the house. And so we, we both got out of the house then and the police fire arrived soon thereafter. And so here is a house. People had left that morning. They were about their lives, but something was left smoldering. Or there was a short in something, some kind of machine or something, in the garage. And it ignited and destroyed their house. Like a fire, watch it now, anger can be just under the surface, waiting to be set off by just the right circumstances. And it can burn your life to the ground. It happens every day in many, many lives all around the world. Anger left unresolved has an explosive, devastating effect in relationships, in families, in businesses, in governments, in our world. Anger is a great giant and needs to be dealt with. Now, there are a million reasons why people get angry. And this isn't an exhaustive list, of course, but, and I, I don't want to demean your anger because your anger may be real and deep and, and significant and it's a, it's a real giant in your life. So don't let me dismiss it in some way with a simple phrase. But people get angry. They get angry at their parents, their spouses, their bosses, their lousy job, the third grade teacher who told them they wouldn't amount to anything. They get angry at their neighbors for playing their music too loud. They get angry at politicians or political ideology that you don't agree with. They get angry with their children who haven't met expectations. And anger can happen when we feel betrayed or overlooked or slighted or belittled, when we didn't get what we think we deserved or what we wanted. And so we come to our story today, and Eliab is angry, and we know why he's angry. Just to uh, re recall now that, that, that the prophet Samuel had arrived at David's house prior to this occasion with Goliath, the house of Jesse, and announces to Jesse that from his household will come the next king of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. This is the prophet Samuel. 
And so Samuel says, bring your boys. How many sons do you have? We have eight sons. Okay, bring the first one, the oldest. And here's Eliab, the oldest, the biggest, the strongest, maybe the smartest. And you would assume that he is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But Samuel takes one look at him and he says, he's not the one. Bring the next one. And it was no next, no next for seven sons until David, the runt, the little one, the youngest, is presented before Samuel. All the brothers are in the room. Samuel says, here's the next king of Israel. And Eliab immediately takes offense because he, he's been rejected, been rejected by the Lord, by God himself. And so bitterness and jealousy fills his heart toward his younger brother, David. And it gets manifested here on this battlefield. When David's just inquiring about who this giant is and what's going on, and Eliab takes offense because he has this anger toward his brother based on this rejection. And so, and so he says some very strong and harsh things to David. He says to him, you're conceited. And he announces that his heart is wicked. This is real character assassination. And something we learn from this, from this encounter, from Eliab's point of view, have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you hate, and you hate what you are? You ever heard that phrase? There's a lot of truth in that phrase. You are what you hate, and you hate what you are. So here's Eliab saying to, about his younger brother David, you're conceited, your heart is wicked. Well, actually now that's a window, that's a little glimpse into the issues that Eliab is struggling with. When you hear another person attacking the character of another person, whatever you hear that person criticizing, whatever you hear yourself criticizing, you need to stop and check that. Because you are what you hate. And you hate what you are. And a lot of times you, you can reveal to yourself what the issues that you struggle with by the things you complain about and are critical of others toward. I'm sorry to bring that up. I know I just messed, you up, you messed up your day. But that's, but that's actually true. And so here's Eliab, and he's got, he's got these issues now that are unresolved, and he's been rejected by the Lord, and he's hurt by it. And when this kind of bitterness and jelly, jealousy, <laughs> jealousy exists in families, <laughs> go ahead and laugh, that's good. <laughs> I appreciate you laughing, that just means the chairs aren't so soft that you're already comatose in the chairs, that's good, still awake, nice. But jealousy is a tough thing to carry out because it causes us to compare and compete. What it does in families is it will silence celebration and affirmation when there's jealousy, bitterness toward people in families. And so when you live in families that compare and compete rather than celebrating and affirming, you have people in conflict. You have families at war with each other. And it's not good. And here's, here's the other side of this. Not only did Eli, Eliab not respond well to his own anger, but David really reacted properly toward his brother's anger. I don't know about you, but when someone gets angry with me, my first reaction is to be angry with them. Someone pushes me, I might, my first impulse is to push them back. I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fully formed. I'm, I'm, my, the paint's still wet. Someone pokes me, my first impulse is to poke them back. But you know, that doesn't help. You do know that. It just makes it worse. That's gasoline on the fire. It just, it, it just exponentially grows. 
And so it's, it's not helpful. So here's David. He's a good model for us. He just, he hears his, bo- his, his brother attacking his character and he just looks at Eliab and goes, whatever, dude. And he proceeds to go out and fight this giant and defeat this giant and, and secure freedom for his family. And, and the oppression of the, on the nation is, is removed. It's a remarkable moment. David just goes about his God-given purposeful life in spite of the anger being directed toward him. And so, so there's a great lesson for us. Eliab, on the other, other hand, think about, think about him. Here is a guy who's angry. Watch, why is he angry? Because he's been rejected by God. Now that's a complex place to live in. I wonder how many of us have been in a moment in our lives, maybe a crossroads moment in our lives when we thought, you know, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is the next step for me. I'm at the crossroads and this is a big decision and I feel passionate about this. I, f- I feel good about this. And I think that's what, that's what I'm going to do with that person, with that group, with that job, with that ministry, with that opportunity. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And, and God says to you, no, not you, not that, not there, not now. Ever been in that moment? Most of us have. If you walk with Jesus and you're interested in what God's will is for your life, there are going to be moments when you go, dang it. That's what I wanted. And so we have to process that. You see, that's either an opportunity, an occasion, when we can take offense, even at God, to get angry toward God. Have you ever been angry with God? If, you ha- if, you're, if you're not saying yes to the question, you're not, you've not been honest with yourself. And, and so, you're, so bitterness can grow even toward God. Beth and I have an acquaintance right now. And this is the great challenge in our relationship with him. That he's developed bitterness toward God. And it's hard to help him because he doesn't want to hear it. He don't want to listen. He don't want to think about God. He's given God the silent treatment. And it's hampering his life. And so all of us have been in a moment like this and in lives in this moment now. But here's the opportunity in it if we submit to the work of God in our life. Because as it turns out, even in disappointment and even in the moments of confusion in our relationship with God, here's something that remains. God is good. And God has a good idea and plan for your life. And even though this moment of rejection seems like disappointment and and confusion to you, the God who is good and loves you and has a good plan for your life knows better what is best for you in this moment. And so if you will submit to his good plan, he will do a work in your life and shape your character into the kind of person that he can use in a more influential way later on. Eliab in this moment, he decides not to submit to God's plan. He's offended by the whole thing. He takes it out through anger toward his brother David because he's just ticked off. And rather than submitting to a trusting relationship with God, look, you're in control, you know best. And if I was the right guy for that job, you would give it to me, but apparently I'm not. And so I'm at at peace with that, knowing, God, you have better things in mind for me. And so it took him a while. And can you handle a good good conclusion to this story? 
There are three more times when we see Eliab reference in the Old Testament, and they're all in the book of First Chronicles. And in the first reference, this is in chapter 12, we see, we see Eliab who now under the tutelage of his younger brother David, who is now the king of Israel, David makes Eliab third in charge of his armies. So he's a very highly ranked official in the armies of Israel. And that's a, that's a good sign. We read also in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 that Eliab apparently was musical, just like his younger brother David, and he's a musician in the army of Israel. And then finally, and at the pinnacle of his life, 1 Chronicles 27, Eliab is actually described as the leader of the entire tribe of Judah. So look at the, look at the wonderful progress here. Eliab goes from this place where he... He is intensely jealous and bitter toward his brother, but at some point submits to the better plan of God for David's life, for the nation's life, and for his own life. And in that process of submission to the trusting care of God, Eliab now allows his character to be shaped, his life to be formed. His, Dave, his brother David recognizes it and then appoints him. And so God now increases his influence and his status in the world to the, some of the highest levels. Isn't that, isn't that a great story? I mean, this could have ended just the other way. And Eliab tried to kill his brother several times until finally David's men, you know, assassinated this guy, this brother trying to kill him. I mean, it could have gone that way. But rather, Eliab sorted it out. He managed his anger. He got that giant to fall in his life. And God esteemed him as a result of it. That's really great. That's really a good thing. So here we are at this point where we need to ask the question, what are the things that we can do to bring down this giant of anger in our lives? Now, this is a summer sermon, just in case you're interested. There, there are five points on your outline there, but these are quick points. So just write these down. We're gonna go through them quickly. It's a summer sermon. So, so we'll be out soon if you're still awake and to know you're dismissed. Here's number one. Remind ourselves we aren't perfect. Remind ourselves we're not perfect. Now, when I haven't received respect or I feel belittled or I feel betrayed and anger starts to come up, one of the things I can do is I can remind myself I'm not perfect. Remind myself that I sin. And then indeed in my sin, I have betrayed God. And so that's important perspective. Look, I fail all the time. I sin against God. That's betrayal against God. So, so what? Someone betrays me. I've betrayed God, and God has forgiven me, so I can forgive others. This gives me the perspective I need to deal with that. I realize I'm not perfect. Look at Psalm 85. Look at the first uh, section of Psalm 85. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, you, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Covered all their sins. Now here's King David rejoicing in the wonderful forgiving grace of God. He said, look, look, you could have judged the nation, but instead you forgave us and covered all of our sins. Now friends, what that means, what that means for us this morning is that all of our sins have been covered. Your sins, all of your sins are forgiven. You see that in the brackets there? It says Selah. Put that first, yeah, Selah. That's actually in the text. It's, it's a notation 
that you might find in a, in a poetic psalm or a psalm used as a hymn. It means to pause or rest or stop. Selah, stop. But it can also imply that we ought to stop and just consider what we just heard. And so the, the psalmist goes, he has covered all our sins. Now stop, stop and think about that. Stop and chew on that. Stop and assimilate that. Stop and let that soak deep within your person that all of our sins have been forgiven. Now, by the way, that's where an amen goes in this sermon. And you just missed it, and it's because of these chairs. <laughs> now listen, we can bring out those hard folders. We can bring them back next week. We still have them, and we, we'll bring them out if you're not going to respond well, because uh, I know what's happening. You're way too comfortable right now. Something about a, something about a hard chair. Yeah, yeah the preacher's friend. <laughs> this time last week you were just sh shifting, trying to, trying to find a comfortable angle. But not today. No, you're happy. You're very, very happy. So we've got to remind ourselves we're not perfect. Here's number two. Write this down. Remind ourselves that God has made peace with us. Made peace with us. Isaiah, the prophet, years before Jesus came on the earth, said that there's a man coming, the Messiah's coming. He'll be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Now listen, that is great news for an angry world. Great news that the Prince of Peace has come. And this Prince of Peace, this Jesus Christ, listen, he has all power and authority in the world. And Jesus has come to us and he says, listen, I want to make a deal with you. I want to sit down at a, at a conference table with you and I want to, I want to, I want to make an agreement. I want to, I want to provide a, a treaty with you. And he said, I could choose because I am in control of everything. I could choose to rehearse all of your sins and failures and faults and mistakes. I could do that with you, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer you peace. Peace with God. Your relationship with God has been broken because of your failures, but we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on what I have done to provide a remedy for you. So now I offer you a treaty of peace, peace with God and peace with one another. And we celebrate that. And we give thanks for that. He said, I want, to, I want to offer you peace and I want to offer you salvation, eternal peace with God. And we might push back and someone might say, well, how can you provide that sort of thing, Jesus? And the answer is that he can do it through his shed blood, which was poured out on the cross. This is why we talk about the cross as difficult as the story is to hear. And for, in some ways it's gruesome, some ways it's irrational, in some, in some, some ways it, it's, it's just too much, too heavy, too dark, too gruesome. But we have to lean into the cross that's why we talk about the cross and we sing about the cross and we celebrate the cross and we teach about the cross. And the reason the cross is so vitally important to us is because it was at the cross that God took his righteous anger and his holy wrath and he placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus bore on the cross for us all of the impunity that God had toward broken humanity. And as I said, his righteous anger and his holy wrath poured out on Jesus, now removed from us. And the good news now stands before us that God is no longer angry with us. He's no longer angry with us. We are at peace with God.
because of Jesus Christ. And so we have this new relationship with God that comes through the, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And this is wonderful news. So when you are tempted to be angry and you think about that person or that circumstance that causes the anger, just remember that God has made peace with us. And if you can be at peace with God, you can be at peace with others. Here's number three, write this down. This is big. This is so important. This is huge. Let me just make a confession before I give you the answer. This is the most important point in the sermon for me personally. This helps me the most deal with my anger. And it's this, believe God is our avenger. Believe God is our avenger. So important. This is a, this is, this is a, a, an amazing, an amazing thing. We all know that when we lash out to people, we withhold love, we withhold communication, we withhold encouragement, that it damages our relationships. Anger diminishes relationship. And pushing back or taking revenge, trying to get even, we all know, we've all discovered, it doesn't work, it doesn't help. It just makes it worse. And in reality, we can't alleviate what caused the anger to start with. We can't change people's hearts. We can't do it. And so what we lean on, what we refer to in moments like that, and this is how, why it's so helpful, is to know that Jesus is the avenger of all injustice and all the wrong in the world. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the justice of God is going to roll down like the waters. So imagine a waterfall with big water and big, big sound. Can you, can you see it and hear it? Just the roar of a, of a waterfall like that. The justice of God is going to roll down like the waters. Everything that has been done wrong in our world, listen, Jesus is going to make right. Everything crooked, every injustice, every mistreatment, every point of abuse, every offense, every betrayal, every, every evil act perpetrated on a person's life. Everything wrong is going to be made right. Everything crooked is going to be made straight. Now, that may happen. That may happen here and now in our life on the earth in some cases. And in other cases, we may have to wait till the eternal kingdom in order for, to see all of this accomplished. But the good news is, and the peace and the confidence you can have in it, is that God has promised that in Jesus Christ, he is going to let all of his justice roll. Everything wrong is going to be made right. I have, I have this fantasy. It's, it's probably just that, pure fantasy. I have this fantasy that in heaven, there are going to be two lines. Shortly after I get to heaven, there are going to be two lines that I'll have to manage. Lines of people. On the one line, this will be labeled people Greg needs to apologize to. In my fantasy, that's only two or three people. <laughs> and in the other line, this will be a line that's labeled people who need to apologize to Greg. And in my fantasy, it's a very long line. Just goes and goes and goes. 
Of course, in reality, if these lines exist, the lines will be just the opposite in size. <laughs> there will be three people who have to apologize to me in this endless line. I spent a lot of time. So, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Sorry. I'll have to do that a lot. Because, because all of these things have to be resolved. You can't have people in the eternal kingdom who are at odds with one another. You can't be going down the street of heaven and go, oh, there she is. Can't talk to her. That, that doesn't work. So these, ha these have to be restituted. Now, that's not to say that we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't try to find restitution in the here and now, because in some cases we should. Many cases we should. There should be confrontation or open, more open communication or, as I say, restitution made. And so these are important disciplines that grown-up people, mature people, will engage with each other. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard work. It's risky. It's painful. It's difficult. But it should be done because that's what grown-ups do. Mature Christians do. We resolve our, our conflict the best we can. But there are other relationships in, in life that, at least for this life, probably aren't going to fix. That's just not going to get better. And so that's just the way it is. And in fact, there are some relationships that are in our past that are probably left there. And you don't have to go back and try to fix that. And so those have to be resolved. And the good news is that God is going to resolve them all. And he's going to do it fairly and justly and lovingly and in the right spirit. And justice is going to roll down like the waters. How great is that? Yeah, I mean, the, your life is the small scale, but put it on the large scale. The, the atrocities toward humanity that have occurred throughout history, the mind-boggling evil perpetrating from one group of people on another group of people, it, it, it's just stunning, staggering. It's impossible to comprehend. All of that's going to be sorted. See, a thousand years from today, in the eternal kingdom of God, all of the scales are going to be balanced. You suffered. You were wounded. You were rejected. You were abandoned. You were discriminated against injustice in your life. In the eternal kingdom of God, watch this. All that's going to come like this. All that's going to get sorted. Let me give you some scripture. Look at Romans 12 on the screen. Bless those who persecute you. Here, this is the standard now. This is what we're going for. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? But there it is. There's the standard. Blessed, don't persecute. Blessed, do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Wow. Well, okay. Okay, that's the goal. So God help us. Then look at Joel chapter 2, verse 25. There's some, some people in the room right now. Listen, you, you have a short account because of the way you've been treated. But look, look what the Bible promises. He will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I love that verse. I love that verse. I don't have too much to complain about, but I feel like the devil's taking some of my crop. 
in my life. I, th I think the devil's stolen from me s s things that belong to me. And what, and what the Bible promises is that God's going to restore every bit of it. All of it's coming back. That he's going to restore what the locusts have eaten. Don't you love that promise? That is so encouraging to me. And now here's Romans 12, one more time, verse 18. This is the same guy who wrote the verse 14 and 17. This is the Apostle Paul. Remember, this is the guy who was stoned, three times thrown into prison, three times beaten with rods, five times he was whipped within an inch of his life. This is a guy who's got some scars. You hear me? This isn't a cupcake. This is, this is a guy who's been through it. Here's what he said. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Okay. That's the goal. So here we go. One way you can do that is to believe God's your avenger. Here's number four. We forgive. We forgive. Now, forgiveness is a huge topic, friends. It's, it's a big enough topic that we could spend, you know, years talking about it. Everyone has to deal with it. Everyone has to deal with unforgiveness. Everybody has to learn how to live into the act of forgiveness. And so we can't, we can't get into it too deep. But look at Ephesians 4 on the screen. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So in your anger toward your neighbor, your brother, sister, do not sin. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So there's the admonition to resolve conflict the sooner rather than later. So how do you do it? Well, maybe the person doesn't live close to you or, or you're not talking to them anymore. Maybe the person's dead and you have no access to them. Or maybe the hurt seems like it's too much for you to give. Or maybe you, you say, oh, listen, I still feel like I want to kill that person. And that may be an honest emotion. That, it's, that the offense is so great you can't even comprehend the, whole, the idea of broaching the subject of forgiveness toward that person. Listen, with all of that in mind, listen to me. You have to let it go. You have to let them go. The best definition of forgiveness I've ever heard is relinquishing the right to pass judgment on the person who's offended you. So what we do is we take this little cage, this little prison cell, and we put the person who's offended us, and we lock them in there, and we set it in our heart, and then when we get triggered, then we pull the person out of the cage, pull them out of the cage, and we just beat them. In our mind, in our emotions, we just pound them. And then we put them back in there, and you go there, and, you, and we put it back in our heart. And so bitterness and resentment takes root in our heart, and we have this, we have this problem, we have this giant in our lives. And all it does is hurt us. All it does is diminish us. All, is it, all it does is, is surface in all kinds of other relationships. It ventilates in your marriage. It ventilates as a parent. It ventilates in, in your career. And relationships get distorted and damaged because we won't relinquish the right to pass judgment on people who've offended us. You've got to let them go. Yeah, but they don't, deserve to, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They've never asked for forgiveness. I don't feel like forgiving them. In fact, I can't even imagine forgiving them. Okay. You have to let them go. Let me tell you why. It's really bad for you if you don't. What about them? What about them? Well, what about them? Let me tell you about them. They are not even thinking about you. 
most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the people you have conflict with, they don't, you never cross their mind. You suffer, live in stress, damaged emotions, wounded relationships, because you've held bitterness towards someone who doesn't give a flip about you. While you're suffering in your bitterness, they're out on a beach having a party. Not, you're not even crossing their mind. I like to say it this way. Don't let the weakness of another person overcome your strength. You, when you let someone who's offended you damage your life through anger and bitterness, all you're doing is sinking down to their weak level. Here's what a grown-up does. A grown-up says, listen, I'm going to live above the jungle floor. I'm not going to let the weakness of an, the pettiness, the, the brokenness of another person keep me from God's best plan. Aren't you, aren't you tired of being tired? Aren't you sick of being angry all the time? Grumpy all the time? Aren't you tired of that? I mean, really, seriously, let it go. Well, I don't know if I can. Listen, again, no one has to deserve it. You don't even have to justify it. You don't have to feel like it. All you have to do is make a decision. Lord, today, you know this, this doesn't set well with me, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to forgive that person. I'm making the decision. I don't feel it. I don't want it. If it was up to me, I'd whack off their head. But it's not up to me. And so I choose to forgive. And that will begin the process of healing and restoration. Someone who's deeply grieved and offended was challenged about their forgiveness. What about that person who so powerfully wounded you? I mean, it ruined, it ruined your life. It, it ruined your work. It, it set you back for years, what they did to you. Don't you have feelings toward them? And the person's response was, no, I distinctly remember the day that I forgave them. Is there still pain there? Is there still emotion there? Of course. That's the process. But you choose to forgive in a moment. And that's how the process begins. And you can do it. You can do it. All you got to do is open the cage. Just let them go. Let them go. Let them go. You'll be better for it. And if you let them go, you'll be free to run your race. You'll be free to bloom and blossom. You'll be free to take the place of status and influence God has for you. You'll be free to fulfill your destiny. You'll be free. You'll be free. So he has an ear, let him hear. Amen? Let's pause and pray about these things. Lord, today, thank you for this story, which is so powerful, so poignant. Remind us today that we're not perfect. Give us the perspective we need about that. That'll take us off our high horse, our self-righteousness. We're not perfect. Remind us, God, that you've made peace with us You've made peace with us. You're no longer angry. 
That's so great. Thank you so much. And Lord, thank you that you're our avenger. So we don't have to be tit for tat. We don't have to get even. We, we don't have to take revenge. You are our avenger. So God, we just leave it to you. We'll leave it to you. You'll take care of it. So help us to forgive today. And in that spirit, we realize that we are sons and daughters that you have included in, our, in your family. You've grafted us in. You've adopted us. We belong to you. Thank you, Jesus, that we are already loved and adored. And frankly, we're just tired of it. Living with that smoldering fire of anger, that's a sorry way to live. So, Lord, we open our hands. We open our hearts. We relinquish control. And we let them go. Make us free then, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.